Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. Reporting live, we got some new mics. We're in the kitchen here with uh, Mr. Mike Santos. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, it's here, uh, Mike on the mic here. Well, you practice that. <laughs> uh, for starts, uh, my name is Mike Santos, and I am a student here at Palmer College in Port Orange. I'm actually finishing up my last three months, and I'm moving to Kansas City on Wednesday. <laughs> so, real soon. Um, but uh, prior to Palmer, I was a personal trainer, and before that, I was an operations manager at Home Goods for about four or five years. So I've got a little bit of a background in different things. So what made you go from that to Palmer? Um, for for me, it was uh, I always wanted to be in the field of sports science. And after being in operations management for, you know, a handful of years, I kind of decided I had enough of doing that and I wanted to get back to what I really wanted to do. So, Which was dealing with people? It really Pain. was. I think when I was – so we'll, we'll go back a little bit more. I, uh, I did my undergrad at USF in, uh, in uh, Tampa, and I knew I wanted to be either a physical therapist or, or I even thought of going to med school at one point, but I didn't really do the proper planning for that. And I found myself in my last year, just didn't know what to do. And um, I kind of decided, well, I've been working at Home Goods for <laughs> throughout college. I think I started in 2010 or 11, and they offered me a position full time. So I said, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do yet. So let me just ride this out and see where it takes me. So I did that and excelled pretty quick. I guess you can say they, they kept moving me up and eventually offered me you know, a management position. And I said, well, hey, this is a pretty good job, pretty good benefits. I don't have anything tying me down, so let me just see where this takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I learned real soon that you can have something that is good on paper and it's good financially, good benefits and whatnot. But if you really don't enjoy it, it's, it's yeah. not fulfilling. It's not worth it. And you'll, you will get burnt out eventually. So that's when I decided to start researching. What do I want to do next? How am I going to do it? And when am I going to do it? I mean, I think we all been in that circumstance where we're like, we're having like a midlife crisis and we're like, yep. all right, what do I do next with my life? I know I was on I those, still have it. Yeah, well, I was on the <laughs> online like surveys, like, oh, what should be your career? And I kept landing on like, you know, either physical therapy or chiropractic and whatnot. Um, so I'm just curious. You're, you're sitting in home goods. You're dealing with a bunch of Karens, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Do they sell uh, scented candles there? They sell everything. Like okay. Furniture, candles, kitchenware, you name it. So I mean, it seems a like Karens. a very uh, comforting area to work in. It smells nice. You have some nice furniture around. You know, it really was. I mean, I have no complaints aside from I just didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. But it was okay. a good job. It was a good environment. And uh, I don't regret it, not even a little bit, Mm -hmm. because it did give me a lot of valuable lessons that I wouldn't have learned anywhere else, Mm -hmm. which have helped me in my career as a personal trainer, Mm -hmm. as an online coach, and then now as a a soon-to-be clinician. So 
I think that would be very interesting. So let's let's go and unpack that a little bit further. You mm-hmm. mentioned that you learned something in home goods and you brought it to personal training. What yes. are those things? Leadership. Okay. I learned leadership and uh, it just I, I found out how I can adapt to different personalities in a hectic environment. Okay. Because naturally I was a very quiet person, you know, naturally introverted. But with management with that position, it was like wow, I have to make some changes here because my job requires it. And if I don't adapt to it, then I won't have a job. So, um, you know, my, uh, my associates had different personalities. You had people who worked well together. You had people who really didn't like each other and they made it very apparent. So I'm sitting there thinking, how can I get all these people on board? How can I get their buy-in? Um, so I, I learned that through trial and error. It was all about building relationships with everyone. So me getting to know each person um, one-on-one. And then once I knew everyone pretty well, I knew, all right, I see everyone's strengths, weaknesses, mm-hmm. their preferences, what they like, what they don't like. So based on information, I can, you know, put them in the right positions together with the people that they will work well together Mm -hmm. with and, you know, doing what they actually somewhat enjoy to some extent. And that kind of helped, you know, rebuild a, like a positive work environment for everyone. So I think one of the biggest things that people learn from is failures. You said trial and error, right? Oh yeah. I I do want to hear a circumstance where it was straight up error and you Mm -hmm. learned from it. Let's see. There's, there's a lot of those, but, uh, it's, Let's go to the the very beginning as a manager. So, one I interviewed for a position, um, and I, and I I got the position. The first thing they told me was, "Hey, just a heads up, you're going to be working with someone who also interviewed for that same position, and now you're going to be essentially their boss, right?" So I said, "Okay, great. I'm going to be working uh, with that. That's going to be a good challenge from start for the starts." So. The way I approached that was, uh, you know, maybe I can just say, hey, yeah, you know, um, I, I'm sorry you didn't get, you know, the position, but I'm here to work with you. But I think I, I wasn't as accommodating in the sense that I should have taken more time to just get to know that person mm-hmm. versus go with some generic, superficial, you know, small talk kind of BS. Um, and I, I guess... As time went on, I think I was there in that location for about a year and a half, two years, and I, uh, you know, I just put everything to the side. Said, "Hey, let me just sit down with this person, mm-hmm. talk to them, get to know them, um, get on the same page, find some way to relate to them, right. um, and then once you establish that relationship, you know, you've now you've got buy-in. It's like, hey, I I know you now. Um, I actually relate to you on some some bases to some extent." And now we can kind of work together a little better, regardless of the, the past. So, You should have went up to them, like shook their hands like, hey, I'm categorically better than you. And people <laughs> picked me over you. Look at me. I'm the captain now. <laughs> it was really tough, though, you know, because um, I was picked over, you know, applicants who had more tenure than me. So mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking, oh, you know, I should have that job and he hasn't been here that long. So why didn't I get it? So I can understand the frustration. But it was the first time I was presented with that kind of situation mm-hmm. and how to approach it, especially being what I was 23, <laughs> 23, 24. And a lot of the applicants were maybe in their late 30s, 40s. Yeah. So it was tough. What made you go with Cairo School instead of PT School? Because you mentioned that you were in between those two professions. So, funny story. 
as a PT, I knew, all right, I'm just going to do a personal training for a little bit until I figure out what I want to do. At one point, I wanted to do a master's in kinesiology. And then I said, you know what? Let me, uh, why am I going to hold myself back? Let me go to PT school like I had originally planned. Um, so I went to South Florida, University of South Florida in Tampa. Go Bulls. Talked exactly right. I said, "Why not? Let's let's go there. Let's see what's going on. What do I gotta do?" You know, um, I met with a counselor, and they basically told me that I had been out of school for too long. I had exceeded that five-year matriculation rule. So, in order for me to apply to PT school, um, not just their program, but most programs, I had to retake like most of my undergrad, my my basic sciences. And I said, just to be able to apply not even guaranteed yeah. entrance. Acceptance. So that, I said, how long will that take me? And, you know, they, they mapped it all out. It's probably going to take me like a year at least, at the very least, if I go full time. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be like 27, 28. Like, I don't think I can really do that. You know, I, I got to go find another option. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started to look into other things, different options. I looked at, you know, being a massage therapist. I looked at athletic training and then chiropractic. And that's when I started to come across, you know, the comparisons of PT versus chiropractic. And after weighing out all the pros and cons, it just kind of made more sense for me to go to chiropractic. You know, see, that, that really grinds my gears. Like, think about it like this. Like, you, all three of us are taking board questions that are, like, 30 years old probably, right? Mm-hmm. And now they have this five-year mat- matriculation yep. rule. It's like, all right, great. I've been out of the game for five years tops, <laughs> but I'm going to be answering questions that were probably made 30 years ago. Yep. It's just, it's all the game, man. They just want to make more money. It shows all the opportunities that there are in, in both respective fields. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and yeah, you're right. You're just playing the game. We're just mm. playing along with it. So so with hindsight being 2020, mm-hmm. and you worked at uh, Home Goods for quite a bit of years. Yeah, about five years as a manager there. Um, started in college, and then um, from that went to personal training, and mm-hmm. then Palmer. So, so would you do it all over again? Do you think you would have the same track? 100%. Like earlier, I said no regrets with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find myself doing that a lot in my life where I look back and say, well, what if I did that instead? What would it be like? Mm-hmm. And I, I've come to the conclusion that that's not worth it because it simply is not and ne- it never will be. Right, yeah. um, though it is fun to kind of speculate, you know, what would it have been like if I was on track and did this and did that or made the other decision that I was at a, a fork in the road with. So mm-hmm. I don't think I would do anything different because it would make me a different person if I made different decisions. I wouldn't have the same lessons. Um, I wouldn't have the same strengths and weaknesses or opportunities rather. Wouldn't have the same experiences and more importantly, wouldn't have met the same people that I met along the way mm-hmm. in which I'm very, uh, very thankful for all the people I met along the way, mentors, um, mentees of all sorts. Um, so all that, you know, it's, it's too valuable for me to say I would change something. Right. You know? Right. You know, when you meet a person, it really, it really does change you for better oh, for or worse, sure. right? And mm-hmm. it, like we've talked about it in the past, like just being with the right group of people could be anabolic or catabolic, exactly, you know, according to whatever you're looking to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I am curious. You are going to preceptorship, which means you are leaving the Palmer Clinic. You are I leaving sure am. this place. Yep. Whatever you wanted to call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Paradise. Yes. Yes, paradise for sure. Not, 
Now, I, you seem like uh, you, you reflect upon yourself quite a bit. If you Maybe were... too much. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when we're working with our clients, it's we all take it very seriously. If, mm-hmm. if you really have skin in the game, you care about how your patient interaction is. Definitely. It can always be approved upon because everyone's 100% different. Right. Um, is there any circumstances that you think upon, you're like, damn, like a big, like, you know, hand to the face, like I really messed up there? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it just... Thinking back to the start of my clinic internship here in Palmer, um, saw a lot of opportunities from the beginning, and uh, I instantly started to, you know, sit down, take a look at what I could have done differently in that sense um, with pretty much every every client, every patient that I came across, you know, because I was all about what can I do to better myself, my skill set, my communication skills, more importantly, my listening skills in order to, you know, continue excelling. Um so yeah, when I look back, it's 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 really it's kind of it's really cool to think about the opportunities I had in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle and then now at the end. Um and to think about what it's going to be like first year into practice, mm-hmm. second year into practice, 10 years into practice. So I mean, it's a little scary. I mean, like you and I, Raul, we're about what, 6 months out from graduating. Uh, Nine. You, you, this guy doesn't know how to do math. Dude, I, just, I, I graduated in December. Day. It's March. I take it day by day. That's all I got to worry about. That's I, true, though. Hey, Nine remember I out. talked about making that group? I I always have a, a calendar person. Like, hey, what day is it? You know, and it, I, yeah. I, I'll ask him for the time. Like a bookkeeper or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, you, everyone needs to play the role. I can't play that role. If it's math or time. What were you going to say? We're nine months out. See, yeah. I'm a butterfly. You can't do this to me. My attention spans now. I got it. It's back. It's back. All right. You are three months out. Yes. Okay. And you're going off into the uncharted territory of Kansas. Yeah. You don't hear that pretty often. Exactly. So why Kansas? And what are you looking forward to when you get there? I get that question maybe like every other day this past six months. You're really into tornadoes, decision. aren't you? <laughs> I really love them. Twister. Favorite movie. Can <laughs> <laughs> you imagine, bro? As soon as I get there, a tornado just comes. <laughs> I'm a storm catcher. I'm just going to chase these things until I graduate. Right, right. So um, maybe I can go back to how I even found the place. So I'm going to be doing preceptorship at um, a clinic called Fit Muscle and Joint Clinic. They have eight locations in the Kansas City area, which spans into Kansas and Missouri. So I found them through a network back in like first year of Cairo school I was just kind of browsing seeing what you know testing the waters familiarizing myself with what the opportunities were like and you know what are my my choices basically so I came across a place and I said hey uh, that looks interesting you know they're very uh rehab exercise based kind of that's my my approach Mm -hmm. and I said if I was going to work somewhere it's probably going to be like that so time went by we got into clinic and time came to start deciding what am I going to do? Where am I going to go for preceptorship? So I reached out to them. I sent in my, my resume and an application and they got back to me. They, we did a couple of phone interviews and everything just went really well. So I flew out there to check it out this past December and I actually liked Kansas city a lot more than I had, you know, thought it was just very, very simple living. The people were just very, very, you know, how should I say? It's that Midwestern hospitality, which I had always known about and was curious about 
So I guess you can say subconsciously, I, I always wanted to experience the Midwest for at least some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of felt like it was a good opportunity as you know, a professional opportunity and then a personal preferential opportunity coming in to where I can, you know what, make a decision to just let me settle here for a bit and I'll ride that wave and see what happens. So, All right, if we're comparing Kansas to The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> I, that's my only <laughs> reference I have to Kansas. And like, I'm a Florida boy. And, you know, I've been to basically a lot of states on the East Coast and then mm-hmm. one time to Colorado. So my geography is trash, and then me understanding what every how everyone else lives is right. non-existent. So my thought process of Kansas is everyone's in overalls. <laughs> is is that accurate? Um, I'm I'm hoping it is. Otherwise, I don't want to go. I'm going to come right back <laughs> here. Straight, yeah. <laughs> All dead on 7 It's a uh, you know it's it's a very different. Like I said, it's a very simple life. Is the way I like to explain uh, describe it compared to here because I'm I'm also. Florida boy, essentially, you know, born in Cali, moved to Florida and just lived here my whole life. So there it's, it's very, you know, Florida, you've got the beaches, you've got the glam. It's this very, uh, how should I say superficial? Yeah. And there it's definitely not. It's the opposite. You know, yeah. uh, the values just seem very different there. Um, the culture's different. I think, uh, one way to explain it, I think I was at a bar there just kind of mingling with, you know, some locals. And I said, what is it about the Midwest that keeps people here? You know, um, you know, I said, I've been here a couple nights and just everyone seems very nice. I said, why is the culture so different here? And the gentleman explained it very well. He said, you know, the way we look at it, at least how he said it, speaking on his behalf, everyone I, I come across every day is going through something of some sort. I don't know what it is. And it's not my position to to judge them on it or to treat them a certain way. Um, so either way, everyone's dealing with something, you know, we we have to just be there for one another and just be nice. You know, it doesn't cost anything to be a nice person. Um, you know, say hello, smile at someone, you know, hold the door open, just simple things. They go a long way. So um, for me, that just, you know, held a lot of water. And I'm kind of like, that's, that's exactly what I've learned the last, you know, 30 years is it's all about the little things, the, the small values, the appreciation of, of people in general, um, as much as there's a lot of opportunity everywhere right so um i figured that can kind of bring out the best in me as a person as a clinician more importantly so i felt like this could be my new home so you mentioned that there's qualities in kansas Mm -hmm. and in the culture that you can benefit from as a clinician yeah let's pinpoint that what exactly in the culture do you think is going to improve upon your clinician skills so for me like we'll say if i stayed here in florida compared to being in an environment like that um i will i'm naturally more reserved mm-hmm. but if i'm around people again like i i just have this natural ability now to adapt to people if i'm around people of a certain caliber or a certain personality and in this case you know very accommodating very appreciative just very uh, hospitable that's going to bring out the best in me too mm-hmm. and for me starting out as a clinician i want to have my best qualities put forward mm-hmm. um and as uh, as assertive as I'd like to think I may be, <laughs> having that kind of environment just makes it easier for me. So, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So you're almost done with school. Can you give us an example? I mean, we can all 
I mean, I think our beliefs have changed a lot since we started school. And I know you're more like evidence-based, uh, exercise-based. Can you give us an example of two of how your beliefs have changed since, let's say, quarter one and now that you're leaving? They actually haven't, surprisingly. Haven't? Okay. You know, maybe I did question them, but my beliefs now are the same as they were prior to school. If anything, they're more uh, reinforced or validated, rather. Um, you know, our, our curriculum is very... Uh, It's very different. It can be uh, confusing for a lot. So early on, I did spend a lot of time getting into research, learning how to do research, not just reading a conclusion Who's or an abstract, <laughs> but really learning um, the truth. And I, I guess I did get a lot of, uh, you know, support from just I have friends who are, you know, they're PAs, my brother's a DO. So understanding their views and then taking that, you know, perspective and kind of appraising everything that we're learning in our curriculum and really just weeding things out, you know, and uh, taking bits and pieces, taking everything with what, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, I was taking everything with like a bag of salt, you really, <laughs> really questioning my biases, really questioning what we're being taught. And as I went on through the program, things just started to make more sense. And it just, it just proved to me that, you know, what's in the evidence is in the evidence for a reason. Um, and then taking that, utilizing it in clinic and seeing the results. And now you've got that three-legged stool that they talk about where the evidence, you know, the clinical experience, which is at a minimum, but and the patient preference. So, you know, throughout the entire program, I'd, I'd say that my beliefs are the same from day one. If anything, they're just more reinforced now. Yeah. In your opinion, what's the toughest part about Cairo School? Or at least what was the toughest part for you? The toughest part, I'd say, is for me, it was going back to being a student because I was yeah. so used to working. You know, I could work 14, 15-hour days, no problem. Hard labor didn't matter to me. But sitting down and reading for more than 20 minutes, right. no, <laughs> that was tough. So me getting back into the mode of studying, and uh, I didn't really have the best study habits in undergrad. So I had to sit there and figure out, all right, what's going to be best for me? So there was a lot of trial and error with that. But eventually, you know, I got the hang of it. I saw what worked best for me. And I kind of just made a transition back to student. So, You know, what I find really interesting is the different study habits. Um, so Raul's a reader, and he'll read something a hundred fucking times. And the fact that he can <laughs> read it so damn fast, he'll do it super fast, and it's nothing. If I were to do the same thing, I'd be stuck on the same page for an hour and a half. I'm the same. So I'm curious, because I'll, I'll elaborate how I, I study, but I want to hear how you would study and retain all the information, mm -hmm. because you hear a lot of students, I don't know if they're just trying to uh, build a, an audience, but, you know, oh, quarter eight, this is the hardest test ever, yada, 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 I've been hit with a million exams, like, come on, we all know it wasn't that bad, yeah. you know? So I'm just <laughs> curious, so how, what is your system into retaining all the information that we need to learn? Well, my system is all about quality, quality studying, because I know I can sit there and read for two hours. Sure, I'll force myself to do it all day. But what will I retain and what will actually, you know, sink into that long-term memory? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can't just sit there and read it once and that's it or just keep reading it. I have to kind of associate it with maybe analogous concepts. Okay. So um, I will actually, whatever topic or concept I'm reading about, I will actually go and research it. Oh, right on. So I'll go research it. You know, maybe I do find some articles or I'll find some other books or other ways that it's being explained. And, you know, hopefully 
something will just kind of click and I'll find something that just makes more sense to me and then that'll sink in. So I don't like, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of flash cards or, mm-hmm. you know, just doing repetitions of things. I really like to, you know, write things down the way that I think I understand it to go find out if that's true um, and just utilize multiple resources. So I'll have like five books out on the table at once, that kind of deal. So I'm kind of all over the place. So I will say this, like, because we are in a, a curriculum that there's a lot of information that all three of us will never use past right. the day we're tested on it. Mm-hmm. Um, are you employing this strategy with the non-important information, or is that when you kind of go to the "I'm gonna rip it and you know and grip it until I get it into my brain"? Initially, I did. You know, when we're in those early quarters, I'm really trying to fight, figure out you know what's true and to what extent are things true. So I would do that a lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say I probably did wear myself out a little bit in the beginning. <laughs> but as I started to really see trends in research and in the curriculum, then it became more apparent like, all right, I need to spend more time in that class and spend less time in that class mm-hmm. um, to kind of manage it all a lot better, you know, based on my, my studying preferences. Gotcha. So. I mean, the way, the way you, you attack the information is it's important because you, when you have a deeper understanding, then you have the ability to apply it to context or conceptualize things that are not related, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a question for you. This might take you a minute to ponder upon, but if we were to create the ultimate clinician and you had to think maybe like three to four skills or values they should have, what would it be? One is, the first one, without a doubt, is listening. Um, the ability to listen and I put a lot of value into that stemming from my experience in retail um, because I excelled due to the fact that I listened to my associates I listened to my customers and then same thing with coaching listening to my client you know it, it helped me to find the answers better because they gave me all the information I needed and same thing as a clinician um, listening to your clients to your patients really understanding what's their situation like because you don't know they just walked in you just met them so you need to put an emphasis into listening to people um, and then more importantly listening to the people that you work with too because I had to do that you know you might not like what they have to say you might not agree with it in fact most of the time it's going to be negative but the fact that you listened is already going to get your your foot into the door of where you need to go next so I'd say first listening um, second is, uh, in terms of making the ultimate clinician, I'd say the ability to understand research. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's taught very effectively in most programs, honestly, you know, not just ours. So that needs to, that kind of goes down a whole nother lane of just being opportunities with curriculum and the educational system. But, you know, after, after being able to, re- read research I'd say um, work ethic you've got to be able to put in work that's the thing Um, and some people naturally do that some people need to be taught some people need to have an example so that's why I kind of ranked that a little lower whereas listening and um, you know researching things I feel like that's that's going to get you really far if you can get those two everything else can be taught we can teach you how to work we can Mm. force you to work (laughs) 
<laughs> so Parker oh. put you in the spot with that question, but now we're going to put him in the spot. What, in your opinion, are there? Oh, not top three, but... <laughs> I'll just cop out and just be like, oh, yeah, exactly what this guy What's said. What's your qualities? Nah, all right, so if I... I the communication, I guess if we had to break it into mm -hmm. um, two different prongs, listening and actually being able to uh, relay the message... Let's are, say that's just one. That just counts as one. Oh, okay, thanks. Ones. Yeah. Like, I wasn't already <laughs> grasping at straws here. Uh, but before, maybe as I dive a little bit deeper into why I picked this, I will come up with the other two. But, you know, like, as you said, you know, you, you listen to the person. And let's just take it a step further. I know you meant this. I just want to really drive it home here uh -huh. is somebody can be saying something, but they also can be, you know, saying something. You know, right. you got to be able to read the room and, and really see what they're saying. Because they can be like, I'm, gr I'm great. And it's like, you're not great. Let's talk about mm -hmm. it, you know? So there's that. And there's also, you know, we do learn information that are way above people's heads. Maybe not because it's super complex, but people don't give a shit, you know? Exactly. It, it's just like, yeah, we can sit here and educate you, but, like, realistically, they don't care. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a rule of thumb. Some people do care. So you just need to be able to bring it down to a level where they actually can conceptualize it and you're not – oversimplifying where you can actually put them in a position where they're going to be in psychogenic pain. Yeah. So yeah. So communication under that, I think looking good is a really important thing. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, you don't got that. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm always going to be a subpar clinician. Well, you've got to be presentable, right? It's a part of professionalism to an extent. Exactly. Yeah, so. People I'm, get a, like in, Five or ten seconds or something. It's like they judge you if you look mm -hmm. professional or not. I know it's less than you know? ten or fifteen seconds. I'm yeah. gonna wear some nipple tassels and a <laughs> nice tie. It's like that means business. <laughs> um, you know, research is very important, and I do want to touch upon that. When mm -hmm. it comes down to it, I think there needs to be more businesses out there that do what Barbell Medicine does, where they synthesize the information and give you a a large uh, summary of everything. Yeah. Because as you did say, and it's very true, most people don't know how to read research. And even if they did, they don't want to. You're, yeah. you're working these long shifts throughout the day, and it's it can be draining if you're working with a patient that some people claim as vampires emotional Absolutely. vampires you know um so you know you do this you have a family okay family i'm putting you on hold i gotta go read this research paper <laughs> it doesn't seem really practical so yeah. you need to find ways whether this be a skill or not you need to find ways that you can synthesize a large amount of information that's relevant and recent and just make sure that if it's because you know we have a good base here yeah. you could read something and be like all right everything's the same from what i've learned last time done you right. know so I guess if I had to put that, I, I, I don't want to call it street smarts, but you, mm -hmm. you got you to gotta be able to conceptualize and just kind of just know where you're weakened and where you're not weakened and just kind of hit it hard when you have the time and then right. leave it alone. You know, a lot of people just sleep on it. You know, that's why we get these old clinicians. Right? Yeah. Like the old clinicians that are still saying the word adhesions and, <laughs> and adjustments are going to clear that. Massage. Oh, yeah, get ready for that. That's coming in two days, baby. Today, it's one day, baby. Oh, it is one day. And that's why it's important. Like, if you know how to, you know, appraise literature and you can find a way to do it quickly or find resources to where there's a lot of resources out there to where they do it for you. Right. And, yeah, you have to pay, but that's that's what you're paying for, the convenience, you know. Um, that way you can stay up to date. That way there's no excuse. So, really, there's so many resources out there and so many, you know, different presentations that will fit your lifestyle or whatever the case may be your your situation um 
can be accommodated, yeah. there's no excuse to not stay up to date. And yep. we're especially not <laughs> in any position to make an excuse because we know how to look at the research. Yeah. Um, so like, you have to keep doing it from this day forward and, and never stop. It has to be a habit, you know? Yeah. The so. last, the last skill I'll say, and then I'm going to pass it to you because <laughs> I'm just going to return the favor. I'm out. <laughs> is, is you, I asked why I asked you is the ability to reflect upon and be critical with, with your patient interactions. You know, um, at the end of the day, a lot of clinicians say like, Oh, this person didn't want to get better. Is that true? Or maybe you're just your interaction or your method of getting them better was ineffective to that person. Right. That's where I guess communication comes in, where you're setting your parameters and setting expectations. But if you don't have that that auto regulation on yourself, where you leave mm-hmm. the patient interaction, you think to yourself, like, "Wow, I just threw a bunch of information at them, and they don't care at all. Yep. Why did I do that? <laughs> you know, I could have just spent more time learning about them." Exactly. Everyone loves to talk about themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be my third. I did name three, I believe. So which which was it? Which was the third one? The third <laughs> one <laughs> was self reflection. It's joking. <laughs> all right, hit us, hit us, Raul. Hit us. Come on. What do you want? Three, three I values, mean, it, man. It's, in my opinion, it's tough to just give like three qualities that make the quote-unquote top-notch clinician. That's the question. <laughs> give us 20 um, But definitely communication <laughs> and everything that has to do com- with communication would be my first one. Yep. Listening. Uh, not only listening, but like having empathy. Knowing when to talk, when not to talk. Uh, just stuff like that is super important because... Uh, I mean, the research is very clear that doctors don't let their patients talk and they just got them right. Like, I believe it's 16 seconds or something. Every 16 seconds, the the doctor talks. Um, So I would say I agree with Mike on that one with listening and communication. Uh, That's my three. What? (laughs) So um, Um, if I I can add real quick, you you mentioned, uh, you know, listening with empathy and uh, it's a big word right there. And I wish we heard about that more in the curriculum, but I would use that when I was training my, I was a director of training at uh, Anytime Fitness. I would use that concept with my new trainers who never had any experience with sales or just working with clients, a client based uh, personnel. And I had like this video, this list of videos I would use in my training, but it was all about empathetic listening, you know, and how do you, like, how do you empathize with someone? You know, what kind of questions should you ask? And it really just boiled down to, if you're listening well enough, you're going to find out, I want to get more details on what you just said and, you know, repeating. So you're telling me X, Y, Z. Well, you know, I have a question about X, Y, and Z, you know, follow-up questions to really build on what they've just told you. So now this person's thinking, wow, they really are listening. They're, they they really work because they just repeated it to me, and now they're asking more prying questions about it. Well, I'm going to let it rip. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, it's like venting, right? You vent, you rant um, to your family and your friends and your loved ones, and you feel better mm-hmm. afterwards, right? So it, taking that concept, you know, it's, I'm glad you really mentioned that because it's very, very important in my opinion. And besides that, we're still in the first quality, but in the whole communication realm, uh, mm-hmm. motivational interviewing, dude, it's huge. Yeah. When yes. it's like, just let, just ask the right questions and the patient will give you all of the information that you need. Yeah. Don't just ask, okay, this, that, this, that, just ask like a general open-ended questions mm-hmm. and let them come to the conclusion that, Hey, I'm here because of this and not just because my back's hurting. 
Right. right. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, after communication, I would say <laughs> <laughs> um, I would agree that uh, being, I mean, not, nowadays everybody can claim to be evidence-based, but actually understanding and appraising the literature, but also knowing when and how to apply it with patients. Because we're dealing with humans and not with just numbers from a scientific paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, yeah, exercise and lifting will help you for your pain. But what if that person does, what if yeah. that person hates lifting? Is lifting even the best choice? Well, guess what? It's not. Mm -hmm. And just because you have a bias towards resistance training doesn't mean that everybody should do it. Exactly. So I would say that. And number three. I, this doesn't sound professional, but basically don't be a dick. Have a good personality. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, those three will get you a far way. Yeah. Um, and obviously having a good, strong clinical knowledge, rule out reflex and stuff, because nobody right. talks about it, but I believe it's super important. Yep. It's less than one. It's exactly. It's less than 1% of your cases, but hey, what if you get the 1%, you know? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the unlucky one. You're going to see a lot of patients every day, so you yep. never know when that 1% may come through your door. Yep. So, yeah. You know, another thing when it comes to, like, selling, you know, being, being a uh, strength and conditioning coach, that was one of the hardest things I had to get over. Oh, because, yeah. um, you know, with me specifically, I work with a lot of high school athletes and I work with kids around our age and people don't got a lot of money, um, mm -hmm. but I love to do it. But I started to charge people more when I started to think about it more so like they have an issue or a problem they're seeking help for. And you just got to find what you're worth and what you're willing to put forward. Because mm -hmm. like I said, if you're working with people that don't have money, you're just going to be like, all right. I'm worth this, but I, I can I can do it for this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got me over my moral dilemma of like, because I'm broke. And, you know, so if I <laughs> if I give you money, that means I endorse you 100% or yeah. like just understand that I worked for all this money. So like when I ask for money, I think they value it equally the same. Yes. So it's very hard for me to ask for the money. But when I started to switch my perspective on it, it started to help that. And plus like a bills started to come in, right? Like, right. it's like, all right, I got to start charging people, you know? Well, you've got to value what you do. Yep. You know, do you value your services? Because if you don't, why would you be able to expect them to value your services? Right. So, and that stems from you having confidence and, you know, foundational knowledge with what you're doing, you know, stemming from research and curriculum. You're taking those things. Now you've got confidence in what you do. Mm -hmm. You know it's of high value. And now, because you can present it in that fashion, you can instill that value you know, with your clients or your potential clients rather. Yeah. And it, it's tough charging people for, let's say programming, but people yeah. in pain, they're suffering and they're willing to pay you money yeah. Oh, yeah. because you have what it takes to get them better. For sure. So it, it, yeah, it gets really hard. I guess like there's, there's that. And I just more so like we're in a profession that all three of us love to do. So, so it's like, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming <laughs> we all would do it for free if, we were in a utopian, right? Like a society where everything was kind of covered, right? We trade for like items, what you call it, like the barter system. Like, yeah. I'll give you three jelly beans if you give me one, you know, one steak, <laughs> something stupid seven, like that. <laughs> seven chickens for a six-week program. Oh, I'm about it. I'll be in Kansas. I'll have cows, man. I'm ready for it. Just let me know. You know, that brings me to my question. I know this happened to you, but I didn't actually – I'm going to follow up with you right now, Yeah. but I'm going to ask him first. Yep. You're going to have cows. Have you ever milked a cow? No. Are you excited to do so? 
I mean, it's on my list. I'm going to check it off soon. He's going to do it. <laughs> I think <laughs> you ruined the experience. I never did it, but you described it. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. But explain to us. <laughs> I didn't even remember that I had told you that. <laughs> oh, I remember everything you told me that. Now, when it comes to milking a cow, I, I, everyone knows the you're going you're gonna to grip and rip, essentially. But I want you to describe the, the, the texture or the <laughs> feeling of the udder. I can't describe it. There's <laughs> just no describing. Can you just show us with like a, a motion of how you do it? <laughs> just like in summary, it's not like the movies. Like you know, that's that's not how it goes. Okay, you'll probably be full of cow's milk when you do it. But I I can just hmm. I can't use words to describe. Is it, it. like Michael? A, well, Michael do it. Words and he'll can't send describe the experience. It's just that exactly. extravagant. <laughs> All right. So like, is it like you're kind of like squeezing out like a uh, toothpaste? Is it like that type? Because is it full? Like you grab yeah, at you the top pull, yeah. and you, <laughs> you squeeze. Does it come out or you have to like give it some traction? It's it's not like it comes out super easy. Like you. You got to work for it, huh? That's that's some weird. I'll tell you what. When I when I find one, I will FaceTime you. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> dude, like throw it on YouTube, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one asking this question. Someone's, someone's wondering right now. They want to know the answer. They want to see it. I feel like I've been betrayed by all cartoons. Give the people what they want. So, I mean, like, it's it's a cool idea to be, like, 100% self-sufficient, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're living off your own cows. I see some people, they do, like, hydroponics, but beneath is, like, fish. You know, that type of thing. Oh, yeah. Are, are, are you ever going to entertain the idea of going 100% off the grid? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's partially why... You know, to add on to me going to the Midwest, I want to, you know, I want to have my own land. I want okay. to be away from people. At Are this you a prepper, man? Life. No, no okay. not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford that yet, man. <laughs> um, but no, I, I like the idea of, you know, just kind of being a little more, more disconnected, you know, from society, but still, you know, being somewhat proximal to like the city. So there, I guess I could add, that is another reason why I'm going to Kansas. Like I'm, I can Right now, I'll be in the city, you know, so it's not going to be like what you're thinking with the cows and fields and cornfields and whatnot. Um, but as I continue practicing and, you know, make a better living for myself, I'd like to be more out and uh, more isolated. So All right. you never know. You might not hear from me ever again, and <laughs> I might be in one of the many places in the Midwest, you know, I might be venturing off to Wyoming, Montana, or something like that. You oh, never tell know. me when you go to Montana because I love Pacific it. Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> so at, at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you had more of kind of like an introvert personality. Yeah. Have you found yourself feeling just exhausted after a long day at clinic? All the time. Yeah, I'm going to be exhausted after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is. it is very exhausting because, you know, you just you're doing you're just putting so much of a focus into adapting to the people around you mm-hmm. in order to make a a positive work environment and if there's someone with a bigger personality and that's really you know non-stop talking and they're always what we like to call uh it might sound a little mean but they're a little extra uh-huh. you know um I, I get it that's your personality uh, and i'm just gonna adapt to it as best as i can um but yeah i just i definitely do feel that more than I want to, but I guess at this point I'm kind of accustomed to it. Um, so I've adapted a little too well, I guess you could say. <laughs> Did you found yourself in the past 
placing barriers to yourself, kind of like, oh, I'm an introvert, I shouldn't talk because I don't know what this person going to think about me. Or For sure. Yeah. Um, I think so. I was able to another reason why I do not regret my experiences at HomeGoods as, as an operations manager. I had no choice but to overcome those barriers. But in the beginning, you know, I was like, wow, this is going to be a lot to get used to. But I wouldn't be offered this position if they didn't think I was capable of doing it and I was very thankful to have a number of great mentors there um, you know just again great connections and that really helped me that mentorship helped me to overcome those barriers you know I was just thinking about it like there's something special about like having a relationship with somebody and just everybody's okay with just not fucking talking you know just like <laughs> you could be there I could be here. we don't have to talk we don't yep. have to talk at all you know um, it, you get those people that always have to fill the space in with conversation, and it's just like, oh, bro, I'm here, you're you're there. Let's just leave it. It's at fine, that. dude. <laughs> I I told, I told Parker this like probably two years ago, but in undergrad, I used to wake up at 5 a.m. But I did, <laughs> I did it just because it was the only because I, I lived at my parents. It was just like a 20 minute drive from my undergrad. So I lived with them, and if I woke up at 5 a.m., it would be the only time during the day that I was at peace. Like, you know, nobody's talking to me, and I'm the type of guy that in the morning, just don't talk to me, okay? So my dad <laughs> figured out that I was <laughs> waking up at 5 a.m., <laughs> and I have no problem with that, but my dad talks a lot. And when I say a lot, it is a lot. Dude, he started waking up at 5 a.m., <laughs> sitting <laughs> right by Let's my side. Let's start the day earlier since he's just, up. <laughs> I'm here <laughs> sipping my coffee, and he just starts creating conversation, dude. It lasted like two days before I told him just that. You can't wake up, but please don't talk to me. <laughs> At least give me 30 I don't minutes. know if you noticed this yet, but. <laughs> uh, that was so funny, but so bad at the same time. There was a lot of like, so like you, you attacked it much better than I did. I This was in high school, kind of similar. My mom would be already up, like two coffees, coffees deep. So she's up, right? And she would do the same thing. She would have conversations, but like. I wouldn't look up. I would literally just be staring just like at the countertop. Like I, if I couldn't, my, my body language said, mom, stop talking to me. But she just kept on asking like, so what's going to happen at school today? Mom, it's high school. Nothing's going to happen today. Okay. It's the same thing as every day. Okay. And it would just be a bunch of bickering, but I, you know, I, I, I need to adapt the, I need to tell you how I feel. And now it's done. You know? Right. <laughs> it's knowing when is that appropriate, right? Right. And it, it's hard to really know because there's no formula for it. There is no alarm that goes off saying, hey, it's it's time now to say what you want to say. It's just your, I like to call it your um, your awareness, mm -hmm. you know, your awareness, which comes back to how well you know that person and their tendencies. And do you really know those tendencies as well as you perceive? Right. So, so have you really taken the time to know that person, you know, so. You know, when it comes down to it, um, you, you mentioned that in, in environmental or positional um, circumstances, what really got you out of your introverted ways. Mm -hmm. But let's say somebody doesn't have that opportunity. What are some strategies that you would recommend for somebody to go from full on introvert to top to notch be clinician Mike. being extroverted? What was that? To be Mike. Yeah, to be <laughs> the one and only Mr. Santos. <sighs> it's impossible. Um, Piss excellence. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy ah, where do I start with that I guess I would say knowing that it's okay that there's going to be trial and error with however you want to approach things because 
your your natural tendencies you know go against everything that you're supposed to do or you're asked to do so if you kind of got like the self-moral conflict and then you've also got well this is my job and i have to do it Mm -hmm. so for starts it's making sure that the job that you're doing or the environment that you're in is of high value to you that it is fulfilling in every aspect now that's your buy-in now you know if I'm going to step outside of my comfort zone, it's going to be worth it because it's going towards something that I really care about or people I really care about. Um, so it's understanding that. I think that's the biggest hurdle that is not very apparent. It's It seems kind of simple, right? But it's not so apparent because you're so focused on this is me, this is how I am, this is my way or highway. And you just have to learn that, you know, that's a part of maturation is to get over that, understanding that, like, it's not just about you, right? No one cares about, again, they don't care about your personality, what you know, what you don't know. Um, so you have to be the assertive one to step out of your comfort zone in, uh, for the sake of other people and ultimately for yourself. So. That's a good point. You know, um, most people want certain accolades or certain talents, but if it doesn't really lead to anything, it never really manifests into a true working progress towards whatever goal they decided to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great point. You know, like, you know, if you truly want to be an extrovert and you're going to put yourself in positions or the universe is going to put you into yep. certain um, circumstances that you're going to grow, you know? And I like what you also said where, you know, our own words can really sculpt who we are. You know, if you said, well, I'm introverted, that's what I do. You know, and just like, that is not, that's the opposite of a growth mindset, right? Yep. You know, just so, I, yeah, I think words are huge. And like, even like when I find myself calling myself an idiot under my breath, I'm like, no, you're not, you're not an idiot. Cause I just don't <laughs> want that stuff to stick. Right you know? now, you're I'm, an idiot. <laughs> now that you Go say that, I feel like the same way, like for example, how people catastrophize pain, they kind of quote unquote catastrophize their personality. Oh, and they're yeah. like, oh, I'm an introvert. That means that I shouldn't go out and party. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in my opinion, Nobody in the earth is 100% an introvert. Right. Everybody, it's kind of like a mix, but the world, I believe they just like black and white. They don't like gray. When in reality, 99% of things are gray. Mm-hmm. Just understanding that, that you don't got to decide between one or the other. You yeah. can be both. Mm-hmm. It's just context, right. you know? I don't know about you guys, but I am like... I, not bipolar, but I mean, like, like, you are. like it goes, <laughs> like, I, I go through hard swings where, like, I'll wake up and, like I said, I piss excellence. You know, we'll talk, I'll talk a million miles per hour, but once I'm up there, man, I have the equal downslope where, like, yep. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to sit here and, and just be myself, you know? It gets exhausting, right? Yeah. You know, it's like anything else. So it's understanding your capacity and when it's appropriate to uh, exert or to be more assertive or to take the initiative. Um, it's, you know, knowing, I think a big thing with uh, going back to leadership, it's knowing when is it appropriate? When do I need to step in and be a leader and, and really take charge? And when should I kind of sit back and just observe? So you're kind of going back and forth and modulating between those two extremes to, you know, have the proper balance, I guess you could say. Do you see yourself like making, all right, so like, you know, you mentioned Raul that like, you're, you want to make a uh, a business that's kind of yours, and then when you retire, it's done, like a personal business. Um, what about what about you, Mike? Do you think that like because a lot some chiropractors they build this empire that runs right. on their own, and then they can retire, but they're still getting some cash flow. Do you right. want to go through that process? Because it's similar to 
what you were doing at home good. So Absolutely. You're, you're creating a team that runs for you. Yeah, it's always been the end goal is to create something that's going to be lasting and I can still manage and oversee but step away. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I grew a desire for that that long-term goal when as, as a manager – wearing a lot of hats, you know, trying to be in 50 places at once and also watch over 50 people and your customers. Um, it's overwhelming. And one of the biggest things I learned was if I can manage myself and attack what I like to call the top priorities, then I can do more managing and overseeing things. So when I got a grip of doing that pretty effectively, I saw how fruitful the job can be because I'm not having to be in the trenches Mm 24-7. Although it's nice to do that sometimes for the sake of leadership and buy-in, I saw, wow, if you do things the right way and you really do you know, manage the processes and manage the people and lead them effectively with a good vision – then you can literally do whatever you want. And so taking that kind of taste of success in that sense um, in relation to uh, business and operations, yeah, I definitely want to take those those concepts and those lessons and, and you know build something down the road uh, to where I can have that, I don't want to say full control, but just have that lasting success. For sure, for sure. I was just trying to think because you know that, that's a that's a scary situation to be in, at least for myself. When it comes to if I want to start something and then mm-hmm. like you know um, you you kind of got to give your baby up, you know you know yeah. you got somebody else being the face, you know that type of thing. Don't get me wrong, you could be the face, but one thing you did say that I thought was good is sometimes you do have to be in the trenches. Yes, mm-hmm. it builds morale. Yes, it builds buy-in. But I also think just having some skin in the game, Yeah, you know, having some relevance. It's just like a lot of times when you look at bigger companies and the higher-ups are making the protocols, it's like, mm-hmm. these don't even make sense. Like, oh, you haven't yeah. been here, you know? <laughs> like, all right, so this is my, my, my big example here is I used to work uh, the night shift at a warehouse, right? Long story short, I pick up heavy box from point A, drop it on point B a thousand plus times a night, and I'm done, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, if I get a dolly up here, I can half the work, and not (laughs) only will it be faster, but it's less work, right? Mm -hmm. And they just said, no, protocol says, or procedure says that you can't have a dolly up here. And Mm -hmm. I was just why? It's just like, hey, it's not us. It's, you know, it's upstairs. It's just like, all right, whoever made that rule has never been here. Yes, and there's exactly. a reason why people are quitting left and right because it doesn't make sense. Why are yeah. we making – that's like taking a, a nice four-wheeled object, yeah. taking the wheels off, and trying to push it as a sled. This made it like 100 <laughs> times harder for no reason. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, yeah, I think like having the skin in the game gives you the relevance to at least lead more effectively. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly. I've had the same experiences, and that's one of the reasons why I left retail is those types of opportunities where, you know, I started pushing carts, and I got to operations, and, you know, I was on my way to, you know, hopefully land like a corporate position. So they did have me pilot a lot of different programs to where, hey, we think operationally we can save money, cut down costs, and improve productivity by, you know, rolling out certain methods. So I would be a test for all of these different things throughout the year, and I would report, you know, um, our KPIs, our key performance indicators, you know, how how is it doing? Is it better? Uh, You know, what are the averages? Is it going to be worth it, essentially? And, you know, even doing that – and giving the data and them still rolling out with things, sometimes I kind of, you know, I didn't like the fact that, 
well, I don't really have a say here. I'm kind of just a, a piece to the puzzle. And, you know, me and, and how I had success with my position, I felt like, well, why can't I take this, my ability to do all of this and do it with something else that I find more fulfilling, you know? Right. So. Right. Well, I think that might be it. You got anything, Raul? No, uh, no, no, not right now. We could just stand here in silence for the next five <laughs> minutes just to make it a full hour, but I think we might cut it short. I like even numbers. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so where can everyone find you, Mike? Uh, well, I am on Instagram. Um, it's nothing too crazy right now, but I do have some plans for that in the future um, along with a, a new website. But I am on Instagram at Mike. I think it's Mike the intern. He had one job. Yeah, I know. I, I don't even remember what the tag is, but um, yeah, it's at Mike the Intern um, on Instagram. Uh, check it out and stay tuned for updates. We're gonna tag everything in the show notes because you know what? that reminds me of the story. I think I should share this. I gave a, a, a you know <laughs> a good conversation. <laughs> I got I gave a good conversation, not necessarily a seminar, but speaking to a lot of high school kids and. Uh, you know, just talking about the importance of sleep and recovery and how they're leaving. Nice. They're, yeah, they're leaving, you know, performance on the table because they just, they're high schoolers. They stay at yeah. 11 o'clock at night and they want to talk to their boo thing versus getting ready for the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, got a lot of buy-in. People are like, oh, where can I contact <laughs> you? I'm about to write the handle on the board. I write the handle on the board. It was what, at strength underscore rehab. <laughs> Not us. Not us at all. <laughs> so that was a bust. So... I'll prevent that from happening for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it because I'm like sitting here thinking, do I got like a, a period in there somewhere, underscore? I got something there, but thank you. Yeah. It's been good, man. I am clicking off. Click the.